warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 131 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gordon. How's it going, man? Why did I say Gordon? Why did I not say Gord? 
I don't know. What that's, is that's wrong a, with me? You rarely say Gordon. I rarely do. In fact, I was wondering if there was somebody else in the room. I looked around. Nope, I said that. Gordon. I've always wondered, when you get aroused, do you call it a Gordon? It's a massive Gordon. I've got it a Gordon right now. You see, now that makes sense. Yeah. All the blood rushed <laughs> to my gourd. <laughs> see what I did there? I see what you did. So how you doing, man? Ah, doing all right. Are we going to do a show? Let's do a show. We got some crazy music. It's been a long time since we've done a show. Well, what has it been? A, a month? month? Yeah, a full month. And why am I going, a month? What? <laughs> why am I using my full first name and raising the octave at the end of words? I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like you're going through puberty again. Oh, for the first time. Maybe I am. Maybe <laughs> I'm finally going to get that facial hair. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's been. Spurt. God, I was looking at that picture of you and me. For a Halloween costume, we could be that guy, you know, the big guy, and then he goes, and the little guy pops out of his stomach. I could be the little guy. We could, Thank like, you. duct tape me to you. Is that a Halloween. nice way of calling me fat? No, what it's a nice f- way of calling me tiny. <laughs> I don't think that's very pleasant. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be duct taped to your stomach. Good Lord. Like Master Blaster. Just like it. Except you'd be climbing out of my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to cut that. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be that for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. So, yeah, the music tonight, man. I am so thrilled to be playing an actual, original, new wave of British heavy metal band, Raven, from Newcastle, UK. These guys have been around since 1974. Have a since Bryce br- was a corporal. They have a brand new album out called Extermination, which was funded, interestingly enough, through Kickstarter. And we have cuts Throughout this entire show, the uh, first song you heard was called Feeding the Monster from That Very Rounder. And there's going to be a lot more, as well as an interview with bassist and frontman John Gallagher himself coming up a little bit. Uh, totally thrilled to have Raven on the show. Uh, we're going to play one of my favorite cuts later, but really good stuff. Additionally, uh, Crypticon 2015 just took place over Memorial Day weekend. I will bring you the sights, the sounds, the smells of Crypticon as we have interviews with Captain Spaulding himself, Sid Haig, and Ken Foray from Dawn of the Dead. How cool is that, man? That's cool, man. Some horror legends, plus some legendary heavy metal. Interestingly enough, the Raven tunes, almost all of them are the names of horror movies. How cool is that? It's like they tied it all together for us. Boom! So we've got a great show for you. But first, Gord. First, yeah. What pisses you off? Steve. Yes. As we're recording this, it is just about the end of the school year. Yes, it is. School is winding down. I think I may have mentioned this before, how irritating it is that the schools say, oh, my God, we don't have any money. We don't have any money. How are we going to teach the children? We need to cut a week off the school year. We don't have enough time. But by the time the school year ends, that lasts like two, three weeks. The school is just doing utter tomfuckery. They're watching movies. They're doing extra recess. It's just... In my older kids' school, I shit you not, they turned in their school books, because it takes a whole day to turn in your school books. Right. They turned in the books before finals. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Do you see the problem with this? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out right, does it? Like, what if you, say, wanted to study for finals and wanted to look at the book? No, you've turned yeah. it in. 
check off all those boxes. Why don't they teach like up until the last day and then turn in the laptop <laughs> or the school bucket? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of it's a California problem. You got, oh, we don't have water. We don't have power. <laughs> we don't have enough school days. But that is definitely true. They totally turn in all the shit, but while they still need it. And then they're in full-on dick-off mode for the rest of the school year. There's, like, full days, a day of play where they do action and sack races and stuff. There's watching movies and all kinds of goofy stuff they have going on the last couple weeks of school. Yeah, I I don't get it. Pisses me off. What about you, Steve? Oh, my God. You know what pisses me off? When Hmm. you wake up in the middle of the night with a pussy in your face. So the other night, I'm sleeping, Saturday night this was, I'm sleeping in my bed, all of a sudden I wake up, ow, 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 why am I bleeding? And we have this windowsill above our bed, and the cat jumped off onto my face and like scratched me under my eye, like an inch and a half long gash underneath my right eye. I look like a freaking pirate. So you have a pussy gash. And there's nothing worse than... Just waking up from a dead sleep and feeling like pain and disorientation. That's how I wake up all the time. Oh, it's totally, that was not a good thing. And fuck my cat. I hate my cat. The cat sucks. (laughs) I would hate your cat too. That cat sucks. Well, the only thing that thing is good around, good for is eating and shitting in that order. Son of a bitch. At least he's got it in the right order. That cat pisses me off. (laughs) Yeah, sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a that's a rough way to awaken. Hey, I've got a question for you. This yeah. might not be politically correct. I don't know. My wife uh, came home the other day, and she was talking about a friend of hers had said that she had to take her cat in to the vet because the cat had been shot with a BB gun, and All it right. cost like a $2,000 bill. Whoa. And I was like, wow. And my first thought was, well, <laughs> was the cat in somebody's yard? <laughs> right. Because I'm not saying I would shoot a cat with a BB gun for being in my yard, but I kind of understand. I yeah, I understand why somebody would. I've I I bitched on this very show before about the neighbor's cat like coming in our yard and shitting all the time and using it as a cat box. I'd be like mowing the lawn. There's cat shit everywhere, and we have indoor cats. So it was like marking his territory. I don't know what, but that kind of pissed me off. Now I wouldn't shoot the cat, but I kind of understand. But you got to understand, yeah, I have an outdoor cat, indoor outdoor cat. He comes in the house and sleeps all day, and then uh, he's awake between the hours of, I believe, 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. on a really energetic day, and he kills rats during that time. Mm. And the rest of the time, I think he just sleeps. The animal sleeps like nobody's business. Right, but there's a dog that you've complained about repeatedly on this show that barks all the time. Yeah, I don't know how he sleeps through that. If that dog got into your yard Bam-o! on the regular, oh, yeah. would you be all right with shooting? Although I know that you love animals. No, I don't. You would consider shooting a dog with a BB would. gun, wouldn't you, to teach it a no. lesson to get it out of your yard? No, I wouldn't shoot it with a BB gun. <laughs> well, what would you shoot it with? <laughs> oh! I'm I just see. saying, I'm a pet lover. Again, I do. We have pets. I like my pets. They piss me off, but I, my pets are okay. But if there's a strange animal in my yard, I, I just I, I didn't feel a lot of sympathy for this woman necessarily that she had a two thousand dollar cat bill. Yeah, well, a couple things. I like my cat a lot. 
if he has a two thousand dollar two thousand dollar right that's like a car you could buy a car that's a for that death sentence for the cat right yeah <laughs> it's gonna have to learn to live with the bb would you know though would you know until you, or would it be like you'd get in there the doctor and be like it's gonna be two thousand dollars <laughs> I think I've got good news and bad news. Over a certain amount, then we like, can no. save the cat. We can rebuild it completely. Yeah. Let's just do it, Mr. Calkins. Yes, veterinarian Steve. We, we've My stabilized cat? your cat. Your cat. Yes. It, it's been shot. I have to tell you. Close. What was it in somebody's yard? It's hard for me to tell. There was some strange mud on the cat's feet but uh i, I want to say it's probably the, like vomit the, in that i just want to say I, I want approval from you because th- this is going to run two thousand dollars get the fuck out <laughs> no i'm serious would you would check cash how would you like to take care of this what do I owe you otherwise the cat will die oh god or, well i'm headed out to the pound where more cats will die unless i adopt one you know what i don't have to spend two thousand dollars on that can i say goodbye to my cat please <laughs> And scene. See. So I think we understand here that, yeah, that A, it's a cat, and B, if it was in somebody else's yard, I understand why it got shot. I wouldn't do it myself, but I understand. But my, wife, my cat was, like, over in someone's yard and consistently messing up their vegetable garden, yeah. digging through their pots uh-huh. to crap in them or something, and someone shot my cat, I'd be like, well, darn, perhaps <laughs> my cat shouldn't have been doing that. <laughs> exactly. But my wife was just incensed. How could you say that? That's so heartless. No, dude, if it's your kid, that's one thing. Yeah. Whatever. You spend whatever it takes. But if it's a cat, an animal that you got from the pound in the first place, yeah. there's, there's more cats going to die. <laughs> Sorry. It's the way of the world. Yeah. It's the way of my world. All right. Well, let's listen to a tune. All right. This song is I think the first song I ever heard from Raven. Probably one of my top ten heavy metal songs of all time. A fantastic riff. An encapsulation of one of the reasons I love metal as like an empowering, go-get-shit-done type of music. This is from 1983's All For One. Take Control.
and girls, children of all ages, you are about to enter a world of darkness. A world where life and death are meaningless and pain is God. Woo! Hey, Lily, let's go. Yeah. We're running. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I'm spoiling. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Vigilanted justice prevailed that took his ass out and hung him. <laughs> and that infamous hanging tree is no more than a stone's throw away from where y'all's ass is now seated. The next day, his body was found to be missing. Until today, no trace of Dr. Satan has ever been discovered. Maybe he lives next door to you. All right, this is Steve Holdis here at the Crypticon 2015 convention here in Seattle. And joining me now, the man, the legend himself, Captain Spaulding Sid Haig. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How about you? I am fantastic. This is such a, always such a fun con. There's such a great vibe to the place. Everybody is so happy. They're meeting their heroes. They're watching great horror films. They're meeting great horror authors. It's just a good time. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good, this is a good convention. And it's, you know, it's just a lot of fun and everybody's having a good time. Everybody's getting along and, you know, it's... <laughs> It's good. Yeah, one of the great things, you were just awarded the 2015 Crypt Icon Award. How cool is that? Ah, that was amazing. I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> no. It's great. 
That's very cool. So let me talk to you a little bit about acting since we're on the subject. You know, you've played every kind of role over your career. And it's amazing with all the stuff you've done. But like, if you search, do a search for you, the first things you see are the more unhinged characters. Captain Spaulding or a Spider Baby, for instance. Is the appeal of those roles more the ability to explore the psychology of these characters or that it gives you the opportunity to shoot a lot of sparks as an actor? Actually, the thing that draws me in is the story. Okay? And the fact that the characters are sometimes, shall we say, bizarre, mm-hmm. just adds to the to it. But a good story uh, is, is what I try to go for. And, you know, you try you try to maintain that, but sometimes it just comes down to you got to pay the bills. <laughs> right. So you got to take something that you wouldn't normally do. But but uh, you know, one of the things that, that you do, and they're veteran horror actors like a Robert England as well. You when you, I see you in a movie like Creature or Hatchet Three, you're adding a touch of class to the establishment. I love that. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't think. I was too classy in Hatchet 3, but, you know, it's all right. No, but I mean, you, you, you know how to inhabit a character, man. You never don't believe Sid Haig on the screen, and that's what I love. Well, that's, you know, that's what I shoot for. I mean, yeah. One of the greatest books on acting that was ever written was written by Charles McGraw, who was Burt Lancaster's uh, uh, partner, basically, mm-hmm. okay. in the production company. And the thing that was so great about the book was that you never had to open it. Because the title said everything. It's called Acting is Believing. If I believe it, you'll believe it. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's what I shoot for. I shoot for my belief in what's going on so that you'll believe it. So let's talk a little bit about Captain Spaulding. Now, one of the things that I think is really cool is from House of a Thousand Corpses, it was very much an over-the-top cartoony character. And in the sequel, in Devil's Rejects, he was mean flesh and blood. And it's not all the time where you have an opportunity to play the same character again in a totally different way. Yeah. No, that's true. Uh, And uh, I appreciated the Devil's Rejects for that reason. It gave me a chance to stretch the envelope and, and, you know, get more into the character and develop it more fully where you know with with house of a thousand corpses yeah it was you know it was cartoony and scary from the standpoint that you just never knew what the guy was going to do yeah you're on a roller coaster ride yeah 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 where devil's rejects i mean the the uh, emotion and the you know he he had that love of his family which added the humanity to something that was a monster before. That's that's the whole key right there. Yeah. Because when it comes right down to it, all he ever was doing was protecting what was his own. Yeah. Okay? You come and try to rob my store, I'm going to kill you. Okay? <laughs> you, uh, you mess with my family, I'm going to kill you. Um, it's just the way it is. Yeah. So you've had an opportunity to work with some amazing directors, and with especially Rob Zombie and uh, Tarantino, I think, two directors that have like a very unique, distinctive vision. How does working with a director like that, how is that different for, as an actor? Well, it, it's different because they do have a vision for what they want. Okay. They make it clear to you, and then they get the hell out of the way and let you do your job. 
So while they still have a vision, it's still collaborative. They let you to expand into the role. Yeah. Yeah. They expect it. That's great. Yeah. As an actor, what more could you want, right? That's that's what your job is. It gives you the palette to, to work with. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. All right. So what's next for Sid Hay? Uh, I just, um, a couple of weeks ago, finished the second half of uh, the Sick Man video with Twisted. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm doing another film uh, in, starting in June. Uh, I've got a whole line of conventions lined up, just working all the time. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, one last question, Sid. We always like to ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bash Show, what pisses you off, man? People who use public bathrooms and don't flush. <laughs> who does that for you at home? Or do you just wait until you can't use the toilet anymore and then move? Exactly. If there was a cataclysmic event that happened in this country... Almost everybody would die because if you can't hit a toilet bowl from two feet, how are you going to hit a moose at 50 yards? Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time for joining us on the Bone Bash Show. Okay. Thank you. All right. Once again, that was Sid Haig. Oh, it was fantastic to talk to him. What a cool guy. Didn't he used to be Secretary of State? Nope. That, well, is that was a different. Hague. That was a different Hague altogether. Although right. Captain Spaulding is far more terrifying, and you're not big on clowns. No, no, I, I don't like clowns. And he's, I, a, I really don't. An evil fucking clown, dude. Yeah, like there's any other kind of clown. <laughs> Which, you ever we, see a clown win the Nobel Peace Prize? Ever? Nope. No. Oh, is there a dude. saint clown? No. And, and there's a movie you do not want to be seeing then. So, Crypticon. This year, we did something a little different. Uh, the whole family, we went and stayed at the official Crypticon Hotel, all four of us. had uh, You lived. You didn't get killed in your sleep? No, we had a great time. You know, it, it's kind of fun because the kids are kind of at the age now where they all like to do their own thing. Yeah. And so, you know, my daughter will be off, like, at the zombie prom or whatever. And my son was at the swimming pool with some buddies. And everybody's having a great time. And uh, for the first time, my wife and I got to go do some serious drinking at the biohazard party while all the kids were messing around, which was a definite plus. That's cool. Yeah. So that was really cool. We actually uh, got to do some drinking with good friend of the show, Jerry Cooch. Jerry Cooch! And uh, his friend Judy, who came up for the Bone Bat Festival. She came back up for Crypticon and got to spend some time drinking with those guys. So that was totally fun. Oh, that's righteous. So yeah. I'm assuming they, they stayed and saw uh, your contribution to Crypticon? They did, they did, but they also saw something else. So Friday night, oh, uh, got there early, I'll tell you a little bit about this. Uh, right. One of my favorite panels at all the Crypticons, they do this every year, it's a panel called uh, The Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen. And, you know, th- it's just a who's who of Seattle horror fans on the panel. It's Eric Morgret, Matt Fora, Tony Kay, Julie Hoverson, like a bunch of people, Ronnie Angel... Michael Montour, and they get up there and they tell you about all these really esoteric or indie horror movies or whatever. And I mean, every year I reload my Netflix queue by going to this panel. It is absolutely essential way to kick off the Crypticon experience. You're not going to tell us what what their favorite movies you've never seen. No, but you know what? It will result in reviews on the show because I I have like a page and a half. I've got like fifty films. Oh, I gotta okay. watch some of them. I haven't even put them in yet. Because so. you know what? After watching twelve hundred 
horror films, there's nothing like relaxing by watching 50 more. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're good ones, you would watch oh, five true. more if they were good, right? Yeah, yeah of that's course. true. So uh, and then I had a couple of barley pops. Those are beers. I sat down with uh, Jerry and Judy showed up and uh, also our friend of the show, Patrick C., and we watched Circus of the Dead. See, that sounds clown-like to me. This, okay, so you remember the short Doll Boy? Uh, It it was a long short, but yeah, I remember it. Yeah, a couple years ago, totally terrifying, right? I pooped. Now, remember, Doll Boy lives in this huge basement, and every once in a while, a clown dumps a van full of innocents into the basement of this building, which Doll Boy then chases around the basement in this rat-like maze and kills them. I always thought that the clown and Doll Boy were the same person. <laughs> no. So the oh, clowns he's got a friend. The clowns are actually a circus troupe who perform in this film. They're led by this <laughs> this character called Papa Corn, who's played by Bill Oberst Jr. in the film. And I gotta say, dude, this film is hard to watch. It is soul crushing. It is darkly hilarious at times. And terrifying. I mean, it is these basically the story of this dad, and he's an everyday suburban dad. He's you know going through life. He's in his forties or whatever, and he feels so like me. That life isn't that exciting anymore. You know, he takes his wife and his beautiful kids for granted a little bit, and he Uh-oh. thinks his life is boring. And somehow he catches the attention of Papa Corn, and Papa Corn spends the next hour and a half systematically destroying this bastard's life. Well, that's not good and at all. There's all kinds of horrific rape and murder in this film. Oh, no. But if you find films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre interesting, if you found Devil's Rejects interesting, if you like that kind of film, if you like to walk away from the film at, at the end going, you know, I've got problems, but Jesus, at least I'm not that guy. Then <laughs> this have problems, but a clown ain't one. Yeah, then this is the a film that you will want to see. It is very well done. The acting is amazingly over the top. Bill Oberst Jr. deserves a Joe Bob Drive-In Movie Academy Award for his performance in this film. But it is harrowing. So I'm warning you up front. If you're a mild horror fan, stay away from it. But this, for some people, this is a pretty amazing work. And... Uh, Man, you get to see a clown dong. How often do you get to see that? It's got a smiley uh, face wow. on it. I mean, come on. <laughs> when you squeeze the head, does it go, ooh, ooh. It might. I don't know. I, but it, well, the moral of the story, that what I took away is never, ever, ever let a clown put his tongue on you. Just, just know that. Uh, yeah, I might tattoo that on myself. Good rule to live by. Once again, that is Circus of the Dead, directed by Bloody Billy Pond. Uh, so Saturday morning, woke up early, uh... It was really cool. We had our Saturday morning cartoons with Bone Bat. Yeah, how, that, how was that received? Super fun. The, the place was like three-quarter packed. It's really neat now. That I'll like bump into people that I don't know, and they'll be like, Hey, Bone Bat, when's the show? What time are you guys playing stuff? All right. And it was just it was neat to bump into the people in the, in the hall, and people were enthusiastic about it, and people wanted to know when more things were going to happen. It was really cool. Uh, in the afternoon, uh, I also ran a board game again this year. A Plat Hat Games put out a game called Dead of Winter. And it's this really great zombie board game. It takes an hour, hour to 90 minutes. And it's kind of like Walking Dead the game. Basically, each of the players, actually two to five players, you run a group of survivors. 
and each round a crisis happens and it will be like you have to stockpile food or gas or other resources in order to get through this round or bad shit happens in the meantime you have there's i think uh probably about a dozen scenarios that kind of uh give you victory conditions to finish the game all right so a couple of conditions we played the the first one i played with my family was they're trying to cure the zombie plague right so uh, what you have to do is each time you kill a zombie, you roll a dice, and if you have to basically accrue so many samples for the scientists. Yeah. And so it's a race against time because more and more zombies are kind of surrounding your, your encampment each round. And each round you're trying to accomplish the goal. And it gets more and more and more tense. And so in the game we played at Crypticon, uh, Patrick C., Judy, and Jerry Cooch joined us, as well as the Rev and Fuego from BJ Shea, which was awesome to spend time with him again. Uh, he played with us last year at Cave Evil. And uh, basically their scenario that they were playing, there are six locations on the board, a school, a gas station, a grocery store, etc. And they had to completely uh, loot two of the six locations on the board, right? Now, is it where everyone wins? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, you know, it's totally collaborative. You're all working together. But everybody is given like a secret scenario at the start of the game. One of you can be a traitor. Nice. So in this situation. uh, I mean, that's a dick move. (laughs) What's interesting is in the two games that I've played, nobody has been the traitor. But you know that that's a possibility, so you don't trust anyone. (laughs) <laughs> so it really gives the game an interesting dynamic and so as we were playing you know everybody's like watching each other uh, everybody's you know they might be trying to uh accomplish their own personal goals which which may or may not you know tie into the team goal and it was interesting to see how it goes and basically in this game uh they didn't get to looting the locations quick enough so we got down to the final round and there was just no way they could solve it and then they started failing on the crises and they were totally overrun by zombies they they were so overrun we ran out of zombies in the game to (laughs) to add to their compound it was that bad Oh, that's so. That's so yeah, the whole team, the whole team lost. But a couple of people were saying at the end, you know, hey, I got to go out and buy this board game. This was a blast. So I mean, that's cool. the the best praise that I could get from running a game is that it makes you want to run out and buy it. Yeah. So it was really cool, fun game. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's from Plaid Hat Games. What's and it called again? Dead of Winter. And uh, it was really hot, I guess, uh, for tabletop day. Uh, there was a shortage on them because they were putting them out into the stores. They were part of a kit that you could get to play at the different uh, game stores. But in this case, uh, Plat Hat Games has them again. I was able to order it online, and it luckily showed up like three weeks before Crypticon. So I got in touch with Donna over at Crypticon and said, hey, can I run this game? And she was totally awesome, allowed me to do it. They had a great game room this year. Last year, like they had that big empty room, and we had to get like the one table. This year they had like six tables and there were board games on one of them. You could come in anytime and check out a game and play. And we had this great big table to ourselves to play. It was totally fun. I actually recorded the whole thing. And if, you know, I'll edit it at some point. If it is entertaining enough for public consumption, I'll put it out there so you can actually hear the playthrough. But it was a lot of fun. Sounds pretty cool, man. Uh, Next thing I did was uh, the uh, Ken Foray panel which was a moderated by Mark Ronner, was a lot of fun. That guy's just a force of nature. I mean, you know, Mark was trying to mod him and kind of keep him, you know, okay, you got five more minutes, Ken. Ken's like, fuck that. We're going to just gonna keep talking. I want to tell more stories. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. 
So, you know, he, he was telling a lot of great stories and really kind of talking about politics and stuff and interesting things that you don't always hear discussed. He was talking about racism and some other stuff. And it was really an interesting panel. So I was glad I made that. And then uh, following that, had uh, some dinner and uh, we had the Best of Bone Bat Film Festival at Crypticon, which was always, again, always a blast. It was fun to do it again. Play those, our favorite films one more time. As Julie was saying, one of the best things ever is watching people see Leslie the Pony for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it is. It's but such, I it's so much fun. Yeah, brain break. And and you know, it was like it's a murderer's row because you've got that, you've got Bad Guy Number Two, you've got Crow Ann, you've got uh, Dead Hearts. I mean, just all the best stuff that we had this year, and we're throwing it at the audience one after the other, and it was great. We topped the whole thing off with, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, Ryan Oliver's Restoration, which is just a chillingly beautiful slow burn of a horror film. Yeah. I mean, just great stuff. So it was so much fun to do that. After that, I uh, went drinking and dancing with my wife and uh, closed out. Again? With yeah, the, I know, with right? Drinking with your wife? Yeah, it was a great time. And then Sunday morning, we got up and we had uh, Jerry Cooch organized a breakfast with the Horror Honeys. The Horror Honeys? Yes, they're a group of bloggers that are based all around the U.S. And uh, three of them were able to join us. I didn't know that this was happening. That it was going to be like a group thing, but uh, we joined them for breakfast. Uh, oh, they didn't have you like pop out of a stack of pancakes or something? No, had a breakfast buffet and talked about horror. That's one of the fun, the most fun things about Crypticon is that, you know, there's stuff that as a fan of any fandom, you don't have the opportunity as often as you like to really sit and chat about things. You know, just like weird thoughts you've had or things that you love or whatever. And I mean, be it movies or comics or, or whatever the things are that you love. And Crypticon is exactly that for the horror community. It gives you a chance to meet with a bunch of other people. You want to talk like esoteric Lovecraft stuff? There are people there who will chat with you for hours about that. You want to talk about the greatest, grimiest B-horror movies? There are people that will talk to you about that. It's just, it's really neat to kind of immerse yourself in the genre for a couple of days. And uh, that, that's one of the things I really love about it. So th this was a great opportunity. We chatted with them, made a few new friends. Uh, after that, uh, I had a macabre music panel with uh, Tony Kay, uh, Seder Brucato, and a guy I hadn't met before named uh, Jeff Farrell, who's a filmmaker in Seattle. And uh, we sat down and just talked about our favorite scary music. Uh, you can imagine, like, you oh, know. Oh, wow, yeah. We cover a lot of that ground here on the Bone Bat Show, so I was able to obviously play some favorites. But I brought my iPod and a little speaker, and I was, I was pretty proud of my uh, hitting percentage, like, you know, Tony would say something about, oh, yeah, let's talk about Goblin. And I would play a little bit of the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack for the room. <laughs> I had like 90% of the stuff that people were mentioning. Rocky Erickson, I, I had it covered. So I was pretty proud of how I, I acquitted myself there. That was cool. Very cool. And then uh, the last thing after that, uh, right after that, there was the Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre 2 panel with Bill Mosley and Caroline Williams. And, uh, again, they were just recounting stories of the making of that film. And that's one of the things I really enjoy also about the panels. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of panels that they have at an event like that. Like, you know, screenwriting or makeup or any number of things. But I really like to hear stories behind, you know, how the things that I dig were made. That's kind of fun. And so th this was a great panel, and that was how I closed my time at Crypticon this year. That sounds like you had an awesome time, man. I really did. It was good. 
Finally, uh, the Crypticon Film Festival. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I did not have a chance to go to any of the Crypticon Film Festival stuff this year. Because I was just running around doing events, other stuff. Uh, so Eric was kind enough to hook me up so I could go through the entire program. And uh, Julie and I spent the last week watching all the films. And I got to tell you a few of my favorites from this year's Crypticon Film Fest. Now, uh, a couple of there's a couple of starter shorts that he had at the uh, beginning of Blocks. One is called She, S-H-I, by Pablo Absento. And all another right. one was uh, Guy Soulsby's The Devil Makes Work. Both of these are just Beautifully shot, gorgeous, colorful, uh, atmospheric films. Uh, both of them make good starters because they don't have a real strong finish, but it's something that you should definitely look up and try to see because they're really some impressive filmmaking in, you know, like the six-minute range right in there. The, mm, the kind of the length that we fan. like. Yeah. There were a couple that, you know... There are so many films out there that you can't see them all, and there were a couple that Eric got that I was a little envious of that I think might have been, they might have made it in our fest. Uh, one of them was called Super, which is just one of those short, sharp, violent shocks of a film that you like to see. Uh, I think I've seen that one. Directed and written by Matt Inns. It's about the girl who has superpowers. Oh, no, it's not the one I'm thinking okay. of. Okay, yeah, yes, it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, also, uh, an animated thing by Mike Diva called Savant Kali 47. Have you seen that? The one about the dog? No, no, no. It's, a, it's kind of a uh, Dio de los Muertos animated steampunk crazy saloon shootout thing. Wow. Yeah, it was great. It was freaking great. Crazy steampunk saloon shootout. All right. Yeah, absolutely cool. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, also, there was a, one of the other things Eric really does well. Eric Morgret, who is the producer of the Crypticon Film Festival, previously also producer of Myth, is that uh, he and his team are do great work with music videos. They always find cool music videos. And this is something that I never thought I would dig as much as I did. But it is a video for a song called Return to You by a band called The Boy Dahlia. Worst band name ever. But uh, it is this zombie-themed music video for kind of a, a synthy Britpop tune. And I yeah. love the song, and I love the video. It's great stuff. Excellent pick by Eric. He he really killed it with that one. Yeah, that, that's very big of you to admit that you like something that's a little way outside your wheelhouse. There. It is, yeah. Now the, yeah, the that's uh, one thing I've always liked about you. If you like something, even if it's something you're not supposed to like, based on your what 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 I think about you, you'll still go. No, I like that. I like <laughs> I like it. Screw you. <laughs> well, thank you. The uh, winner of the uh, best film award for this year's Crypticon was something called El Gigante which is essentially the Mexican Luchador Massacre, directed by a female director, awesomely enough, Gigi Saul Guerrero. And, I mean, fucked up inbred family? Check. People, wow, that's a th people eating meat of indeterminate origin? Check. I mean, it's got all of the touchstones of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but its own unique vibe, uh, totally fun and really well-shot film. But I got to say, it was not my favorite. My well, favorite, my friend, oh, my favorite, is a film directed by a guy called Justin Harding, a film called Point of View. And it says at the start that it was uh, inspired by the weeping angels in Doctor Who. All right. Which are these statues that you turn away from them and you don't look at them. You look back and they come closer to you. All right. And the, the short is about this woman. She's working in a morgue at night. 
And the body that's on the slab has gotten up and is chasing her around the morgue, but will only come towards her if she breaks eye contact with it. (laughs) And it is fucking terrifying. I'm getting chills just talking about it right now. It is so scary and so great. Oh my God, it's good, good, good. You've got to see this short right away immediately I'm now. I'm going to stop podcasting right now and watch it. Just delicious. So check that out. Again, Point of View by Justin Harding. Very great stuff. That's it. Okay. So thanks. Wow. Just a quick thank you. Thank you to Mickey and Troy from Crypticon. Thanks to Eric Morgret for letting me run crazy every year at this event. Thanks to uh, Lorelai for hooking me up with the panels. It was so fun to work with Tony K again, one of my favorite people. Uh, also, thanks to Donna Pryor for allowing me to run Dead of Winter. And all the awesome panelists and uh, people who spoke to us. Sid Haig, of course, and Ken Foray. It was a great time. Uh, can't wait to do it again next year. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, and thanks to my family for joining me. Because that, that even, even made it all the more special. Well, aren't you the gracious one? So a tune. Let's so do another to. one. To? Another of monsters. Another tune from Raven from the 2015 release Extermination. This is Scream. <laughs> What everyone says 
This is Sid Haig, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. That's why you can hear me. some chicken and then I won't have to stuff my boot all up in your ass. I don't like chicken and I hate clowns. That is it. I'm going to count to ten and you're going to hand over all the cash or I'm going to splatter your grease paint mug across the state line. One. Fuck your mama. Two. Fuck your sister. Three. Fuck your grandma. Most of all, fuck you! Goddamn motherfucker got blood all over my best clown suit! All right, once again, that was Scream off Raven's brand new release, Extermination, on SPV Records. And joining me now, I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to speak to John Gallagher, bassist, vocalist, and founding member of the band Raven. How you doing, man? I am doing great. Good to be here. Oh, thank you so much for taking a few moments to chat with us. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> now, I gotta say, I, I first discovered... Raven all the way back in 1983 uh, Tower Records in Sacramento is where I bought my well-worn cassette of All for One and I was immediately just blown away it is such a fantastic album your Megaforce debut of course and uh, probably the first big splash in the US but a lot of people don't know that you and your brother Mark had been playing together for almost a decade prior to this big release so it wasn't like you know a band just springing onto the scene you'd been around for a while yeah you know the funny thing is with the music business most people that just seem to spring up never did (laughs) (laughs) although although it does seem more and more these days that they're due to little electronic crutches that they could wear (laughs) as far as uh improving the performance here and there let's say yeah sure a bit more but uh no we did our apprenticeship we formed the band in 74 before we could really play. We played our first show in 75. Went through drummers like Toilet Paper until (laughs) 1980. (laughs) So there you go. Absolutely. Now, since then, you know, you guys, uh, of course, uh, any band that has been around as long as you have and are veterans of the scene has, has gone through challenges. I mean, you know, the ups and downs of the popularity of metal itself has been a challenge, and also, you know, losing record contracts and changing members and things, although you guys have been solid member-wise for like 30 years now. But uh, you've also had some just crazy stuff happen. Like, I was reading Metal, the Definitive Guide. It says that uh, you, you had a house fire, and then in the aftermath, you had a bunch of guitars stolen? Oh, yeah, that was fun. It was... Uh, <laughs> Holy shit, like how does that happen? Of, three quarters of the house was burned down, and the garage was kind of survived. And I was able to, you know, move stuff 
into the garage and locked the garage and it was all secured and after we'd left to try and find somewhere to stay for the night, yes, somebody broke in. Unbelievable, man. There's a special hell for people <laughs> who steal possessions from someone who's had their house burned down and hopefully they're burning there right now. Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe it at all. And then a few years later, a wall fell on your brother Mark's legs? Yeah. He was, I think he was trying to pick up money off someone who owed him some money. Went on a job site and they were building a, something like a Walgreens drugstore or something, some big building. And he didn't have a hard hat on the site because he just had an accident the day before where some idiot T-boned him at a <laughs> junction in early in the morning. Uh, someone was driving with no lights on and hit me brother sideways and his head hit the windshield and he had a big egg on his head. Holy so he shit. had a baseball cap on and it kept blowing off. And he chased the baseball hat and it blew a bit further and he chased it again and then the wall fell down on top of him. If he hadn't had the other accident and wore the hat, he would have been crushed completely. As it is, the wall fell on his legs and completely messed them up and it took him four and a half years before he was able to kind of walk around. <laughs> on a, like with a Mad Max leg brace thing. So yeah, you folks have definitely had your share of misfortune. Now, in recent years, I think one of the reasons why you have remained on the scene so long is that you've you've kind of embraced the ability of new technology to stay in touch with your fans. I see that you're always live on Facebook and you're chatting with the people that love your music. Uh, and then recently, for the latest album, you did a Kickstarter. Now, and this wasn't a, a situation where you were just going it alone. You were kind of partnering with your record label, SPV, in order to release this latest album. How did the Kickstarter come about? Well, we have a good relationship with our record company, SPV, but uh, it was obvious with this album, and we were going to have to up our game. And the way we decided to do that was to take longer on the writing process. Now, again, with modern technology, you can pass a lot of info backwards and forwards by email and file sharing and all that, but you can't really beat having three guys in the same room hashing it out. No, of course not. Uh, or even three guys jamming, making stuff up. And we did that at least three or four times. And we all live all over the States, so it's expensive. Therefore, you know, we had to, we were basically renting a studio where we were rehearsing. One good thing that came out of that, of course, is we ended up doing the Party Killers uh, covers album, which was uh, basically an award for the, the Kickstarter backers. We did an exclusive. 11 song cover album which uh, is great i might add it's a lot would have of fun been difficult would have been difficult doing that to being separated as well because again the way we record is three guys in the room uh -huh. that's how you get that real <laughs> live band feel believe it or not is by having a real live band <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's basically how that came about we we had a, a money gap we knew it was going to cost more than it did last time so the Kickstarter idea came up. We floated it by a few people, and people seemed to be very excited about it. And it's just a great way of having the fans and the band being even more connected, you know? Yeah, and it's a beautiful package. I mean, it's a really nice digipack that you folks came out with. And the, uh, the pack that I got with my uh, pledge, I got the Party Killers EP. I got an autographed postcard. 
by uh, you, Mark, and Joe Hasselvander, who your longtime drummer, which is really cool. And uh, yes, and of course, my Raven Lunatic patch, which is awesome. So I got some great stuff here, and uh, I hope a lot of other folks took advantage of it. I think it was a success, right, by any way you look at it. I mean, you were able to accomplish yes, all your goals. I mean, we, you, you added we, a bunch of stretch goals. You went over goals. a goal, uh, yeah. which is just as well, since everything went up in price. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> all right. All these T-shirts and patches and extra vinyl things, uh, they're not cheap. But uh, it, it all worked out great. I mean, the package is awesome, and people really seem to have loved hanging out there and waiting for it, and everyone seems to love it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a win-win, definitely. And as a band that's been around as long as you have, I mean, when you were getting started, like, tape trading was the thing. That was how you discovered new music. And you would have metal fans sending each other cassettes, and there were fanzines and things like that. And nowadays, you know, with the internet and Kickstarters and things like this, it's kind of a very different playing field, but you're still speaking to the people who dig your music in the same kind of way. Do you, do you like that about the new technology, the advantages it affords you? Or what do you make of the difference as somebody who can look at the changes in the music industry with a veteran's view? I think it's so much better. We were always a band who appreciated our fans and you know, try to stay in touch with them. It's very easy to be divorced from reality, as it were. Now it's, you know, feedback is instant. You know, people can get in touch and say, hey, how would you like to do this? Or would you guys ever consider doing that? And it's awesome. You know, it really is. Unlike a lot of bands, we, we seem to have a, a relatively intelligent fan base, and <laughs> their ideas are worth hearing. <laughs> so even if I'm part of them. <laughs> no, even if, even if we're in the equation. <laughs> we may drag it down to the knuckle-dragger uh, version, but the, but the fans keep it, keep it above water, I think, so it, it's good. Well, and speaking as a fan, thank you for keeping in touch with us because it's great to hear from you and find out what you've got coming up next. And uh, we look forward to hearing more, absolutely. So what's next for Raven? Do you guys have any tour plans coming up? Yes, indeed. We are going to Japan in July. Nice! Which is always be our third time. It's always an experience. It's very, very cool. And then following that, for the first time, we're going to South Korea. Fantastic. Which is uh, very cool. It's a festival there. People got in touch with us, and we're going to be doing that. That's new ground. It's always nice playing a new place. That's uh, a big festival there with a whole bunch of crazy acts. There's some rock bands on the day we're playing, but it's kind of like one of those English or European festivals where there's like literally every genre of music. Mm -hmm. um, the day we're on, there's apparently a few rock bands. I don't have the lineup yet, but uh, it's a pretty big deal. So that's cool. Nice. And well. then following that, we may be doing some US dates. We're at the very end of August. I'm trying to see if that can come together. Uh, if it does, great. It'll be just a short run, probably on the East Coast and the Midwest a little bit. Okay. Uh, and we'll follow that up in the new year with a. Uh, a more substantial U.S. tour. But anyway, following those possible August dates in the United States, then we have a big European tour starting in, when is it, 
16th of September. All right. And it's going to run through pretty much to the end of October. Fantastic. Well, you, you've heard it here first, listeners. Uh, look for Raven this year live. You will not be sorry. They're a fantastic live band. Yes, we will have to punish you severely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, one question we always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. John, what pisses you off? What pisses me off? People using technology in recording as a crutch. (laughs) Auto tunes. The the much maligned Pro Tools and the Click Track. It's, It's really... Amazing. I find out that we are almost alone in metal bands or in bands in general who record as a band without a click track. We don't need a click track. We got a freaking drummer. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I always thought that was was part of a drummer's requirements was to be able to kind of play in time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good skill to have as a drummer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a very good skill to have. It's kind of like accuracy in guitar and bass playing. You really want to hit the right strings at the right time. <laughs> you see, that's why I could never be a good guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you need a drummer. That's why. Well, I guess that's it. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, a lot of the, the, the crazy death and thrash bands that you'll hear, it's all manipulated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some great players out there, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of them, especially the younger ones, it's like word processing. You know, they look at what's on the screen with the waveform. Oh, these are a bit off here. Let's move it to the left a little. Let's move it to the right. And then you hear, <laughs> oh, now it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought, wasn't a click track like, it was kind of a tool that you would use when you were learning a song. Not that you would play well, along with it I mean, live I or anything could, like that. I mean, I use a click track or a drum machine when I'm writing because, you know, I don't play the drums. You don't want to hear me play the drums. I'm like, <laughs> you know, kind of bad, and my neighbors really don't want to hear me play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll build it up that way. Uh-huh. It's, it's it's like anything else. It's a great tool. Right. Use a metronome when you're playing to, you know, for practice, what have you. Learn something slow, make it faster, learn it faster, bring it up to speed. That's how you learn complicated pieces of music. But uh, when I start seeing the drummer with the laptop by the side of him as well. Oh, yeah, that's a that's red flag, a dead right? Giveaway. Yeah. Uh, and then you start hearing the Milli Vanilli stuff. There's, <laughs> we played the 70,000 Tons of Metal Cruise uh, last year. And there's a band there. Every song started with a bass guitar. There was no bass guitar player. What? It was all on laptop. That's crazy. And then there was a band that was playing, and you were hearing, like, damn, damn, damn. The band's playing that, and you hear, the orchestra and the voices. Right, sure. It, was not, it wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the weirdest thing. I mean, a lot of times in metal, there's always, like, the big bombastic intro that will have keys, you know, or something that isn't in the band well, that, that, when they start. Okay. And I mean, there's yeah. some bands who kind of use this stuff a little bit. And, you know, it's like, where do you draw the line? I mean, Rush use it 
you know, they've used it for many years and it was like, yeah, well, do you want to watch them doing the circus act of, you know, playing the bass pedals and playing the keyboards and singing and spinning plates or just saying, screw it, we'll just put this all on tape as it were because, you know, we don't want to be doing 49 things at once. I don't know, there's a fine line. I mean, you know those guys can do it. Yeah, you, yeah, you know exactly. Musicians. Yeah, their musical skill is not smoke and mirrors. And then there's a band like Muse, who had an awful lot of stuff on tape, and then they just said the hell of it and brought a couple of guys out on the road with them to play it, so mm. it's a bit more organic that way, too. So, it's, it's technology. You either use it, or it ends up using you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But like I said, listeners, come and see Raven because you will get a power trio with the emphasis on power. That's right. <laughs> and, we're, and we're loud as well. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and we, we jump around. Uh, and that's why it is. <laughs> All right, man. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this next tune? Uh, this next tune is the lead-off tune on our brand-new album, Extermination. And it's about uh, removing certain odious creatures from the planet. And it's called Destroy All Monsters.
Hello, lunatics. This is John Gallagher from Raven, and you are listening to the Bone Bat Show. So prick up your ears and get ready for some metal. Oh yeah, slaughter mess for the monitor. Levi, yeah, boss. You know why I come here to get these chickens? No, boss. Because my brother makes the best fried chicken in the world. Is that right? Yeah, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, sir. How are you? How y'all doing? Good morning. Good, good, good. What you got for me? Well, we got these uh, real cute bar rock chickens here. Yeah, I see you. Got them nice, long-legged, roll-out-of-red chickens. Roll-out-of-red? Yeah, them Oh, nice. I like them. I want a roll-out-of-red for me, all right? Yeah, roll-out-of-red, too? Yeah, yeah. Now, y'all ain't planning on fucking these chickens, are you? What the fuck are you getting at? Do you fuck chickens? Well, I have thought about fucking some chickens before. Huh? If you want to have a good time and you need some pussy, you can cut that chicken's head off, stick your dick in that ass of that chicken, and that damn chicken will go crazy on your ass and go... Are you saying that I would cut off a chicken's head, put my dick in it, fuck it, and go... ah? You accusing me of fucking a chicken, motherfucker? No, I ain't, I ain't calling you chicken fucker, but that boy over there looks sex, sexually frustrated, and I don't approve of chicken fuck. You hear what he called me, boss? I ain't no fucking chicken fucker. Come here, fucking just stop yakking and grab the fucking chicken, Cleavon. I'll get the chicken. Yeah, fuck. Appreciate it. Thank y'all. He's the chicken fucker. That's all right. Put it back there. Next time we go someplace else. We ain't never buying chicken from him again, boss. Yeah, I know. All right, this is Steve from the Bone Bass Show once again, and joining me now, once again, on the show, Ken Foray. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. Now, it's been like six years since we last talked here on the show. What are, you, what are you working on now? I just finished a film called The Rift, and so I think you can look for it within the next four months. Nice. Yeah. Yes, and it's to be a sci-fi, horror, action adventure, and I uh, have high hopes for it. <laughs> what are the chances of a sequel to Black Santa's Revenge? Uh, it would be a very successful <laughs> sequel if I can get the producer to do it. I love just that movie it. so much, man. Yeah, yeah, just um, everyone give a little shout-out to David in um, Portland and say, David... What about Black Sandman Revenge 2? We're, we're waiting for that. We're, we're, fans want it. I want it. Get moving. <laughs> yeah, we got to do that, man. Absolutely. All right, one last question. We always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bash Show. Ken, what pisses you off? The word awesome. It is overused. If I hear it again, it will drive me completely insane. I will, and and that, that means I will hear it in the next five minutes from someone. If you see me running around with an axe trying to kill people, it's because I, I've heard the word awesome again and again and again. Can we find another word to express something that is really wonderful? When we say, don't take fabulous, because that's not the word. But awesome is just overused. I think everyone uses it, and every time I hear it, I go, <laughs> I, I think I may be guilty of that sometimes. But it's... Everyone is. That's why I'm going to piss everyone off by saying this, but I'm sorry, guys. Find another word. Let's, as a community, as a world community, find something else because everyone uses it. It's overused, and it's just, 
become an irritation. That's all I can say. Well, I got to say, it's been truly exceptional catching up with you today. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Exceptional is a great word. Thank you. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we are back once again. That was Destroy All Monsters from Raven. Thank you to John Gallagher again for uh, joining us on the show. And Is thank he you. the same guy that smashes the watermelon? That's not the same guy. Oh, and man, I'm thank mixing up all these band members. Once again to Ken Foray for uh, spending a few minutes telling us what pisses him off. <laughs> so, dude, you got some weird stuff this week? Yeah. Yeah, from the the weird place that you used to live, Los Angeles. Yeah, the Los Angeles area, the Southern California area, as you might know, is uh, famous for a couple of things. Over-regulation of its various industries and the the pornography industry, which is not immune to the first one, the over-regulation. According to what I read, critics say that a state proposal... That would require California porn productions to boost their safety standards to prevent the transmission of STDs goes simply too far, Steve. Too far? Too far. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, when a porn goes too far, (laughs) you know things have gone way too far. The Los Angeles Daily News reported Monday that a 21-page draft specifies the use of protective eye gear in some situations. And calls for the producers to pay for medical visits and hepatitis B vaccines for the performers. Protective eye gear. So does wow. that just mean like ski goggles I, or like I'm swimming sure. goggles? You know those ones, those kind of goggles you wear in the pool or like a full on like welder's mask? <laughs> I suppose it depends on the scene. I always <laughs> just assumed that they'd use beer goggles. Like, well, there, there's that. Or is it more like a, a head-based sneeze guard from a salad bar? Like maybe in a orgy scene, they lay down one of those giant sneeze guards across the whole scene. <laughs> I'm really not sure how. I've never actually performed in a porn, so I often wear protective eye gear when I'm I've working. I've never performed cunnilingus in a salad bar. <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be a sealed goggle type thing, but I. I think pretty soon you're going to be able to distinguish which porns were made in California, which were made outside of California, because all the hot-for-teacher fantasy glasses-wearing ones will be Californian. Yeah. Well, you know, if you outlaw porn, only outlaws will shoot porn. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) It begs a question, though, like... (laughs) What lawmakers are watching? What porn are the lawmakers watching to have engendered this bill in the first place? That is a great question. It's always the the lawmakers that are up to the, like, messed up shit. The very most. Right? Yeah. Because, you know, when when these councils, these lawmakers are meeting, it has to be open to the public, according to the Brown Act. (laughs) Is that a euphemism? I think perhaps it is, and maybe that's why they need the protective eyewear. I thought the Brown Act was something completely different. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) out of here, scat. (laughs) You just had to go there, didn't you? I did. You just had to drop that one. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was hot. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Well, apparently (sighs) quite a bit, because I've not been wearing my protective eyewear. I, don't know. I feel like we should drop in the Ralphie. You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> but, but just think of like like you're saying. I mean, I know you're joking, but 
we could end up with such wonderful things as two girls, one spill-proof mug. <laughs> one sippy cup? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, porn something is subversive enough. Don't you want your porn a little filthy? It's just going to drive the filmmakers like they weren't underground enough to begin with. Or, like or out of state. Right next door. Yeah, I mean, let's move to Washington. They've got weed and I could pee in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's do it. Let's make this happen. And for some? I don't let's, know. That's uh, enough to get them to move, relocate their business. I would love to be <laughs> sitting in on that lecture. Well, <laughs> we decided to relocate our business because we can buy pot and pee in each other's eyes. <laughs> And that's why now we manufacture our uh, tennis shoes up here in Washington. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with shut up? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Huh. What, are you one of them goggle-wearing pussies? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's always California, see? Oh, we don't have enough power. Oh, I got pee in my eye. I don't have enough protective eyewear for the school year to be long enough to... Wait, what? <laughs> California sucks. I live in a weird place. You I really do. do. It's just gotten worse since I left, dude. No, I think you just have the the perspective of not being here. I, I guess when I left, I was basically a child, so it's kind of hard to tell, you know. I was. I didn't have you being so well informed back then. I guess that's true. One little riot, and you got the hell out of town with your leg, <laughs> with your tail between your legs. Can't we all just move to Seattle? Thought you people hated us people. <laughs> and yet I keep inviting you up here. I know. Pretty soon the neighbors are all going to get together, organize, and keep me out. <laughs> so the board will take stiff action on the proposal no think, later than March I, 2016? I think they're going to take stiff action on this. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Are we going to do the humor in the wrong vein joke now? Why not? It's an oldie but a goodie. How about another tune? Let's listen to another tune. All right. Uh, let's go all the way back to 1981 from the album Rock Until You Drop. This is Hellraiser, another horror-themed tune. Also the name of my penis. <laughs>
Hey, listen. Listen to the Bone Bat Show. Always. You're going to get all the horror information, great interviews, and uh, certainly the moderator uh, needs work. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> has to get to work. If I'm late one more time, Mr. McDonald is going to can my ass. Yeah, oh, will you get in the car? Okay, come on, let's go get in. Mom, a clown. Yeah, yeah, a clown. Uh-huh. Oh, hi. Hi. I'm going to have to be taking your car today to have some top secret clown business that supersedes any plans that you might have for this here vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about clown business? <laughs> uh, stutter, bitch. Jamie, get in the car. Lock the door. Where the hell are you going? Kevin, don't you never turn your back on a fucking clown when he's talking to you. Fucking hands off of me! Matter, kid, don't you like clowns? Why? Hey. Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? You best come up with an answer, cause I'm gonna come back here and check on you and your mama. If you ain't got a reason why you hate clowns, I'm gonna kill your whole fucking family. All right, now get your fucking ass out the car. Come on, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, once again, the mighty Raven with Hellraiser slash action. Ha! Snuck in a little extra tune there for you. A medley. You said slash. Once again, taken from Rock Until You Drop, 1981, Spitfire Records. Get it at (laughs) ravenlunatics.com. Raven Lunatic. It's probably not raven.com. That's probably that Cosby kid has got that domain. Probably so. But uh, Raven Lunatics is a great website name. That's way better than Mighty underscore Wombat anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Multimedia triage. Triage. So we've all saw Mad Max, huh? Yes. Loved Mad Max. You know, Max. I love when you're looking forward to a movie and you think, this movie's going to be great, and it's exactly what you think it is, and it's great. <laughs> I know. And it really was. You know what What I loved about it is, remember the first time you saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? The 10-minute tank scene that was intense as fuck, right? This <laughs> was the tank scene. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Detective Eyewear? We're not talking about California anymore. Okay. The, the tank scene with the Nazi tank, and they're banging off the walls of the canyon, and his strap is hanging. He's hanging off the barrel of the gun, and it's turning around. Remember that? I do remember that. Super intense. 10-minute action scene. This was like two hours of that. With a flaming electric guitar. With flaming everything. Man, this movie delivered. It it started at like 75 miles an hour and then spent most of the rest of the movie at 100 miles per hour. And, I mean, it was gorgeous to look at. The the palette of the oranges and blues for a a violent action film. It was just gorgeous. 
And it's funny because after, like, I took my daughter, we went and saw it. My uh, wife and son were camping that weekend with the scouts. So we went and did the nerd hardcore movie thing. And I came back and I'm, like, watching the trailers for Thunderdome and uh, Road Warrior. And they yeah. look terrible. And they're yeah, like, compared to this. And they're driving on roads. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It just it yeah. was like not the same, and I, I don't know if you can go back and watch those films and be as satisfied now that this exists because it was so insanely well realized. And the, the realizations, what I loved about it, I, mild mild spoilers here, but there would be little tiny things like at the start, uh, Immortan Joe is getting his suit on, and the little boys are blowing dust on his back before they encase him in this plastic armor, and. Like, it's never mentioned again. What was that shit? What was he doing? What was going on? I don't fucking know. Then, yeah. in the middle of the night, there are these amazing crow people, totally iconic, like, out in the landscape, walking across the mud. And you're like, badass. Who are they? I don't know. You're never going to see them again. It's gone. Like, there was just, it was so replete with awesomeness that it could just barely fit it all on the screen. What I loved, one of the many things I loved about this movie was that they had a dedicated drum and guitar car with <laughs> massive speakers, a guy wearing bright red, the only guy wearing red in the entire movie, yep. uh, playing a flaming electric guitar. Playing, as soon as I saw it, first of all, arguably people in death the theater metal. laughed. Yeah. And they were laughing with joy. Everyone that saw it was like, that yeah. is so awesome. It was cool as shit. And my first thought when I saw it was, my God, Steve must have come in his pants when he oh, saw Oh, dude, yeah. I was just giggling like a schoolgirl. It was fantastic. Fantastic. And, like, it turns out that guy's... I mean, nothing in this film really was CGI. That was an actual performer who was bouncing around on bungees for months learning how to do that while still playing the guitar. That was 100% functional. Freaking amazing. Those drummers must have been exhausted. I know, like a whole truck full of Tyco drummers right. banging this martial beat as this armada of death vehicles is streaming across the desert. Amazing, dude. Just fucking amazing. Yeah, that movie did not disappoint. No, it did not at all. Loved it. Wow. Yeah, you know what we also both watched? What's that? Slightly smaller budget. <laughs> a lot smaller budget if, I, if you're going to think. Yeah, that was so much fun. Oh, what a fun movie. And it's totally free now on YouTube. You can just watch it. Yeah, just... 30 minutes of it. total 80s joy. Ridiculous, preposterous, over-the-top, great, so much fun. Kung Fury, yeah. this karate fighting cop, has to take on Hitler. <laughs> Kung Fu, Kung Fu Hitler. Hitler. Fuck you! Fuck you, Kung Fu! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every 80s movie trope ever was represented in this movie. Yeah, between that and the fact that I'm reading Ready Player One, I am complete, and we're listening to Raven, I'm completely immersed in the 80s right now. It's not even funny. Uh, my hair is huge. <laughs> That's funny. Julie's reading that, reading that book, too. Is it because you got it out of Loot Crate? Got it out of Loot Crate, and uh, my youngest uh, barbarian child absolutely devoured that book and pestered everyone with an earshot that they have to read it. And so we all went, great, yeah, we'll read it. At which point he lost the book. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then he found it, like, this week. And so I went, okay, I'll read it. 
Yeah, Julie's reading it right now, and I, I will be reading it after. This was like catch-up on Gord Shit Week, by the way. I picked up uh, Fight Club 2. Oh, yeah. Which cool. you were absolutely right. It's freaking great. Oh, good. I mean, and it's completely... That's one of the things that you always, you know, have a, maybe a complaint about, is when, like, a comic book follows a movie or another book, and it doesn't feel authentic. It's just like a sequel that gets some cash or something like that. And no way. This is fucking pure... Polaniac action. He's involved in it. The story is fantastic. The art is great. The comic is so well put together with like the pills that are yeah, obscuring things. That, yeah, they're sitting on the pages of a comic book. I mean, just really well done. I can't read, wait to read the next one. And yeah, Fury, the tank movie that uh, just became available for free on Netflix, finally turned it on. And you're right. It's a, it's the a one great you gave war you so film. Much crap about. I didn't give you shit about it. I gave you shit about your man love for Brad Pitt. But the I've film tanks. The film is good. Yeah, it's really good. I, I don't okay. know that it's it's not better than Saving Private Ryan. I don't think it's better than Band of Brothers. It's not better than a lot of other things. But it is a it's a well done war movie. On the violent side, pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. But uh but yeah, it's great and totally intense. And the the final big end set piece is a glorious bit of filmmaking. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was a badass movie. I'm glad it you really watched was. it. Yeah, I'm no, glad you liked good it. Good call, buddy. Thanks. Uh, I watched uh, another pretty high-budget movie. I, I assume it's high-budget. I don't know. I watched uh, Ex Machina. Oh, how was that? I was kind of on the fence about it, because it looked like that could either be really like this good, cerebral-thinking movie, or it could be kind of boring and shitty. I liked it. Okay. I thought it was a good, cerebral, thinky movie. Okay. I, I like movies that make you think about the nature of life and the nature of intelligence. I liked The Robot and Frank. I liked Lucy. I liked Beneath the Skin. Ooh, two Scarlett Johansson movies, back to back. <laughs> you um, like Scarlett Johansson? I like Scarlett Johansson <laughs> a lot. but uh, Almost as much as I like Tom Hardy. Uh, let's not get crazy. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this to kind of sneak past, but Gordon managed to review another Tom Hardy movie in this episode of the Bob Bad Show. Kind of funny how that works. Imagine that. <laughs> I'm all the way out of the closet with Tom Hardy now. It's, just, it's not a secret. Yeah. My wife knows. But yeah, I liked, uh, I liked uh, Ex Machina, and I thought... It was a challenging movie in that it's a challenge to say the name of the movie without saying Ex Machina. Was it a challenge to stay awake? No. It was a slow, quiet movie. And like Under the Skin, I think, or Beneath the Skin, or whatever that Scarlett Johansson movie was. But the CGI in it was great. It was, Why do you it need CGI and, to watch a dude fucking a robot? I don't get it. They, I don't know. Because when it's a robot, you don't need protective eyewear. Like a, a CGI Wang, or like what was the CGI part? No, I liked how the robot. Oh, it's like like the side of, of her was, head because she was a real actress, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. But mo like her limbs were transparent, and it was just I thought it was just really neat, and the sound design in the movie was neat. I liked all the little sounds that the robot made and the way the robot looked. I thought it was just neat. It could have been crazy over the top and I didn't think it was but I, I like the movie it has a neat plot I like it I think you should check it out you'll probably be fine watching it at home if you don't have to watch it uh, at the theater oh you saw it at the theater I did okay 
I went out of my house again. Wow. Cool. Crazy. I don't know. And the other thing that's been taking a lot of my time is the opposite. It, it looks like a, a 16-bit game. That's Nuclear Throne. Got it on Steam. It's, I don't know, 12 bucks maybe, 10 bucks maybe. It's still, what do they call it, that early release where the game isn't done, but you can still buy it and play it. Mm-hmm. It's a fun, top-down, two-stick shooter where you're going through levels, picking up weapons, picking up power-ups, picking up ammunition, and uh, you could run out of ammo, so you gotta you got to think about what you're doing. And it's neat because it's never the same game twice. The levels are, are randomly generated in terms of the, the maze you're going through and what monsters you're going to fight and what guns, what weapons are laying around. Yeah, and you've got like eight different classes of character you can play. At first glance, it's just a two-stick shooter, but it's surprisingly deep, and it's a very fun game. You keep going back to it because you're just so close. You know, if I would have only had a couple more shotgun shells, if I only wouldn't have got that bad spawn. Check it out. Nuclear Throne. Hmm, it kind of sounds like that. Remember that uh, Australian gunslinger cowboy game that I reviewed uh, at PAX last year? Yeah, it was the same, kind the of the same, same thing. Yeah, life. something like that. Where it was, but that one it was a, a two two stick shooter. But you could uh, you could play with another person, and each of you would use it. Like the keyboard would control one character, and the mouse would control another character, and different kinds of controllers would control different kinds of characters. Like the keyboard would be the guy with the player piano that was shooting machine guns out of the piano. <laughs> Like it was, it was cool. That's that's what it reminds me of when you when you tell me about it. Yeah, check it out. I think you can play collaboratively um, online with it, or that's something they're going to add. I'm not sure because I'm basically all by myself, holed up in my office, killing giant scorpions with my revolver and wishing like hell I had a machine gun. But it's on the other side of the scorpion. And that sounds like Fallout. (laughs) (laughs) People compare it to Fallout. People compare it. They say it's a rogue-like game. I never played rogue. I don't know. But a uh, Legend of Dungeon is also that kind of thing where you know, yeah, yeah it's, it keeps rebuilding the dungeon and every game is different. So, yeah, I like that type of thing. All right, well there you go. Go to Steam. Get cool. It. A couple last things I wanted to mention: uh, a couple of crowdfunding projects that just popped up uh, recently. The director of Bad Guy Number Two from the Bone Bat Film Festival, Chris McEnroy, uh, just had a Kickstarter campaign for his new film called Death Metal, which is about a dude who gets a, a guitar that kills people and you know this is the guy who did bad guy number two gord so you yeah. know it's going to deliver the goods gore wise oh yeah and uh, he bucket. reached his goal Yay! i i pitched in a few bucks uh, for it and uh for my troubles i'm going to get a copy of the film when it comes out and i got a metal band name which is uh, satan's sack of rot so i wanted to <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you would have just stopped sack, it would have been even better. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not sure about the marketing possibilities for this band name. Uh, where do you go with uh, SSR? I, I don't know. But well, you uh, sell every CD in a sack of rot. Oh, th- I guess that's how you do it. But uh, it was really exciting that uh, he is able to make his film, and I feel great about it because hopefully we'll be able to show it at our next film festival, which would be the circle awesome. of gore. Now, on that note, another director, Brian Lonano, who is the director of Crohan, just mm-hmm. kicked off an Indiegogo campaign for his new film, Gwilliam. That's Gwilliam, William with a G in front of it. 
and it is going to star the uh, character who plays the serial killer in Too Many Cooks. Nice. So, uh, once again, it's an Indiegogo campaign. You can jump in on it now. There's uh, 25 days left, and they're already a third of the way to their goal. So this, you know, looks like that it's totally going to make it. Uh, it's supposed to be a man-meets-goblin love story, and uh, there's going to be goblin finger puppets or one of the awards. So. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say goblin finger banging. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know. <laughs> so you want to help a film get made and potentially see your name on the credits at the next Bombat Film Festival when this Whoa. film plays there? That could happen. It could totally happen. That's awesome. So look for it on Indiegogo. Search for William. That's William with a G in front of it. And uh, if you're interested, watch Brian's uh, video. If you're interested, you can throw him a few bucks and get an uh, independent short made. Uh, how cool is that? Great stuff. It's as cool as it can be. Absolutely. All right, let's listen to one more tune, dude. One more. This is a title of uh, one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, in addition to being a brand new cut on Extermination from Raven's latest release. This is Silver Bullet.
ride once again the mighty raven with silver bullet from extermination pick it up now at ravenlunatics.com it's a great cd great old school heavy metal like they just don't make anymore from a definitely band, old school from a band who's been doing it as long as anybody and still kicking ass so i i'm glad to know they're still around and thanks again to john for joining us on the show uh also, thank yous, uh, Sid Hag and Ken Foray. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank yous to all the people who attended our events at Crypticon. It was great to see you again, and uh, we hope to do it again real soon. Our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. Bonehand.com is also the home of the heavy half hour infrequently. Woo. Woohoo! And you can find my stuff at MightyWombat.com. I've been doing a lot of non-cartoon creative type things lately, so it is, in theory, a weekly cartoon. But uh, uh, lately it's not been updated as much. I, I hope to get on top of that more soon, but have patience. In the meantime, there's a hell of, you know, back catalog to look through. There's like a decade of cartoons, so get off my dick. <laughs> I am on the Twitters. You can follow me as Bonehand over there. We also have a Bonebat Twitter feed as well as a Bonebat Facebook group where we have jokes, sweet deals, pictures of stuff we think are cool, all kinds of fun stuff there for your frequent pleasures. Silly crap. Am I on the Twitter? Yeah, Mighty underscore Wombat. That's me at the Twitter. And uh, I think uh, Mighty... Got to spell it out, MightyWombat dot, spell that dot out, MightyWombat dot com. Over on Facebook is another place to view my old cartoons if for some reason you don't want to look at them on my own page. Thank you so much for listening, and if you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Our final tune this evening, I'm going to dedicate this one to my good friend Gord. Another tune from Raven's Extermination 2015. This is called Battle March. Tank treads. It's got a little 80s vibe on the intro as well, so it kind of touches on a lot of things we were talking about this episode. I hope you dig it once again. Until next time, this is Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one.
No, I just searched my feelings. I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> Search your feelings. You know it to be true. <laughs> Shittiest <laughs> line in a movie ever. Nobody nope. says that. I just did, though. George Lucas, his dialogue is so ham-handed. If you think of any number of lines from the Star Wars trilogy, they're just terrible. Yeah, they really are. People don't talk like that. He should have went to, like, David Mamet for a punch-up. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see David Mamet's take on Star Wars. That would be awesome. Like, almost the entire thing would take place inside the Millennium Falcon with them just talking. <laughs> This is the ship that made the fucking Kessel Run in 60 fucking parsecs, you fuck. 